Hello and welcome to another episode of VR Download, a weekly show where we talk about news in the VR industry. I am your host, Kyle. Ian Hamilton here. I'm David Heaney, and I'm currently struggling to use a VR headset while having hay fever. <laughs> I may have to drop out every few seconds to wipe my eyes then. Allergy season is something that VR designers, headset designers, have not really taken into account. Glasses is one thing, but I've got prescription lenses on my headset right now. But I still do have the need occasionally to just give it the old, oh, wipe, get all the goobers out of my eyes and things like that. It's a toughie. So first piece of news we have on the on our plates today is about Sony's PS5 VR headset which is set to launch possibly holiday 2022, not holiday 2021, holiday 2022, and it should have an OLED display. Interesting, OLED, because so many headset manufacturers are going over to fast-switching LCD. We don't get the dark blacks. You don't get the true blacks because there's backlight to an LCD. But OLED, I don't know. What, what, what do we think about this? Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what this thing is priced. Because uh, I want to say, doesn't Sony have some involvement? I, I think they have some involvement in some of the latest LCD companies putting out those LCDs. So it's quite surprising to see this report that they may go with OLED for this. I, I It's going to be... You've got a wire there with the next generation PlayStation VR headset. But minus, aside from that wire, it sounds like Sony is really positioning itself as having this incredible next generation experience that's going to differentiate itself a little bit from the other things that are out there. I'll be curious. We've, we keep seeing these hints about a Quest Pro. What do you think the chances are that a, a Quest Pro would have an OLED in it, Heaney? I'm going to say fairly low, simply because if there's OLEDs and LCDs available generally in the same year, the LCDs are going to be available at a higher resolution. There's also the problem that the, the PlayStation VR 1 is the only OLED display we've seen in a headset or in any consumer product for quite a while that's actually had all three subpixels. The ones we saw in the HTC Vive and the Oculus Rift and even the Samsung Odyssey series, they'll only actually have two subpixels per pixel as a ratio. So you wouldn't get the same sharpness, which wouldn't go with the pro idea. But we, we've reported on that resolution that we our sources tell us the PlayStation VR PlayStation VR next generation headset will have, which is around 2000 per eye. I don't think that's enough of a jump up from Quest to really note a Quest Pro. So I would expect Facebook will stay with LCD. It's actually very surprising to hear this Bloomberg report of Sony going with LC, uh, going with OLED. And to, to be clear, the only reason this report even mentioned it was this was Bloomberg talking to the, to the suppliers of displays and finding out that this company, JDI, who had formerly supplied iPhone displays is now shifting to VR and looking to their to expand their market in VR. And they're expecting that most headsets will continue to use LCD. And so this was actually only a footnote in this article to say, well, the exception here is that our supply chain sources tell us Sony will go with OLED for their next head. It's surprising. And I really am curious to see whether they will get the three subpixels in again or just be down to two. Mm. So for those folks who do not understand the difference so lcd is backlit oled is not 
But there's other things. Like, what are the pros and cons of OLED versus LCD? So as you say, the main difference is on an LCD screen, you have the color pixels, and then they are lit by a backlight behind them. Whereas on an OLED display, each pixel is self-emissive. It is its own light source. So the differences in them, essentially, as you say, are that LCD displays cannot display the color black. They can only, they could display the color black by turning off the backlight completely. But if you want to have anything else on screen alongside that black, you can no longer display black because the entire backlight has to turn and then it will go from black to a murky gray. OLED, you get those deep blacks. But the problem is with OLED, because it's more difficult to manufacture, and until very recently, and perhaps in many cases still is, more expensive to manufacture compared to LCD, a shortcut that manufacturers have been using is to, instead of having one red, green, and blue subpixel for every pixel, they they have what's called a pentile matrix, which equates to two subpixels per pixel. So it's only two-thirds of the number of subpixels. But they use clever, as they call it, sub-pixel rendering techniques to make it look almost indistinguishable. And that works really well on smartphones. It works really well on tablets. But in VR, when you have it magnified right up into a 100-degree field of view, you can actually notice that difference in sharpness. As I said, the exception is that Sony in PlayStation VR 1 actually did have an OLED display with those three sub-pixels, but it was only 1080p. So So what I think is likely is that with OLED, you either have to pick a lower resolution than the LCDs that are available, or you have to get the same resolution, but without that same sharpness. So the, the main advantage to LCD right now for VR headset manufacturers is realistically cost. It's enabled this kind of new wave of much lower cost headsets than the traditional OLED ones. There's been a lot of improvements on LCD that have made them a lot more appealing to VR headsets the fast switching. Have there been any major advancements in OLED that we would see the tide turn and switch back where everybody wants to do OLED now because it's better than LCD? So in the smartphone world, yes, we've seen simply the cost has finally got roughly equivalent. So that's why you've seen pretty much almost all smartphones shift over to OLED, as well as the obvious advantages in battery life in that because each pixel is self-emissive, If you're on a phone and you only have the time shown on the display and the rest is completely blank, you're only actually turning on those specific pixels. Whereas to show anything at all on LCD, you have to flash the entire backlight. So as to whether we'll see it in VR, again, obviously we've heard from Bloomberg, we will on PlayStation, but their report indicates that they expect the majority of the VR market to stick with LCD for those simple reasons that they can get to higher resolution faster and at a lower cost. Though it is a shame because you do in VR, it really does add to the immersion to get those true blacks. Although that said, there is one small trade-off with OLED when you want to use true blacks in that it actually takes a while for the pixel to re-illuminate itself, to come back from all the way zero to on again. And that's called, there's a few names for this. You call it the two-frame rise or the OLED black smear effect, where that means if you're turning your head in VR and something that was previously completely black now has to be colored there is a little delay there so overall it's in an ideal world we would want three subpixel oled but in a practical real world for now most vr companies are deciding on lcd it it 
already scrolled past. Gerald had mentioned somebody, I think it was like Scooby-Doo or something, said about micro LEDs for the Apple headset. I don't know if we can find it. Who said that? Yeah, I see Gerald's comment here. Oh, okay. So where does micro LED fall into all of this? So micro LED, let's start by saying that OLED emerged in consumer electronics around a decade ago. It was used in in prototypes and labs and things like that, but it really started to be shipped at scale around 2010. One of the first products to really use it at scale was Samsung's Galaxy series. It was almost a promotion of their OLED displays at times. Those things in marketing wise, it went hand to hand. And there's a lot of, you hear a lot of things like LED or mini LED, but this is hard to explain this. LCD has been remarketed a lot of ways. There are a lot of minor improvements to LCDs that have happened that don't really change anything other than to say, divide the backlight into lots of small pieces. Micro LED, on the other hand, as distinct from mini LED, is an actual new display technology. Micro LED will be the first new display technology since OLED. It's similar to OLED in that each pixel is self-emissive, so you get all those advantages, but it has manufacturing and brightness and longevity advantages that make it similar to LCD. Essentially, microLED is, for now, the perfect display technology. The problem being, it's not being shipped in mass consumer products yet because they haven't figured out how to mass produce it at an affordable cost. Right now, if you go to CES or any of those trade shows, you'll see Samsung and Sony show their latest microLED display. You'll see in a lot of AR prototypes they're using it. Uh, as Gerald mentions, the, the rumors are that Apple's headset will use it. But we simply don't know which one of these companies is going to be able to mass produce it first. What we do know is that Facebook has a research lab in Ireland for microLED. Apple has invested billions and billions over the past few years in labs all over the world for microLED. And all the other major technology companies like Samsung are investing in it. Who will be able to commercialize it first? Who knows? But for now, we're still stuck between the trade-offs of LCD and OLED. If you do go to CES, especially CES, you end up seeing booth after booth, a whole line, of, a gauntlet of just microLED. And there's some of them are teeny tiny. Some of them are a little bit bigger. Some of them are stereo. Some of them are bright. Some of them are low resolution. There's plenty of them to the point where I almost feel like, are we going to get a flood? Is there going to be a, a glut of micro LED displays all of a sudden everywhere? It, it could be a good thing for this industry, but then again, it could be bad because now all of a sudden we might end up with just really rough headsets coming out with really garbage L- L- displays. I, I, is there a, do you have a fear of that at all, Heaney, that that could happen? No, no I think we're going to see because of the sheer brightness advantages of it, we're going to see, and the, it's much easier to produce these displays at those tiny sizes than it would be for something like a TV. So we actually probably will see microLED used in AR glasses and VR headsets first, simply because there's no other application where those tiny little displays matter, or sorry, can be used. But once you start to scale up to a phone size or a TV size, that's where, from what I've read, manufacturing gets right challenging. The the messaging around this is so interesting because I hate the term mini LED is now becoming a thing and you hear (laughs) Apple's iPad. Let's just be super, super clear. Mini LED is just LCD with lots of little backlights behind it. 
It is not a new display technology. Micro LED is the new display technology. The more, there you go. See, I didn't even know. That's good. That's good stuff. Ian, did you run out and buy a PS5 as soon as it came out? I did, yes. I have been waiting for a game to play on it other than Astrobot. It's mm-hmm. with with the higher prices of the games on there. It's like I'm I'm picking and choosing my my battles, and I finally got a uh, Ratchet and Clank, and it is using the, the the resistive triggers in a really nice way on on that game, and it's really really incredible to think of what those triggers will be in the next generation PlayStation or PlayStation VR headset. I, I can't. If I keep thinking of horror games and wanting to be in like scary dark places and pulling out my bow and get and and popping out from like cover and trying to shoot something and then pop back into cover so that the the monster doesn't see me like everything I'm hearing about OLED and the the triggers makes me think that PlayStation could be in a category by itself on this next generation of of devices. I I can't wait to see what these triggers feel like when combined with a really great like dark experience i can't if they ever get half-life alex onto playstation going through those scary levels the the hotel level of half-life alex would probably be pretty eye-opening to experience Mm -hmm. on an oled display yeah the reason i asked about whether or not you have a ps5 is i i know that the PSVR works on the PS5. Have you? It, it no. does not. I mean, it does. I just I'm not going to hook it up. I oh, but you why. you personally have not. Okay. Yeah. I told myself that I'm not going to get a PS5 until the PSVR two or whatever they end up calling it comes out. Like I'm going to buy them together as a bundle. I'm not going to buy one because there's really no need for me to have a PS5 until that new headset comes out. And I wonder how many folks in the VR uh, community are feeling that same way. It's a moot point when you can't actually get your hands on the devices to begin with. It's convenient to to hold off until the PSVR, the next generation is there because it's just so hard to get your hands on these devices right now. I don't know. It's it's the same old with gaming, right? You're going to go get a PlayStation 5 if you love playstation gaming and i've been a playstation gamer since generation one all through the years and so it's it's amazing experiences there with those triggers it's really nice to have that and imagine forward what that's going to be as soon as we get that into vr i'm very happy to have it it's yeah like i said there's only a couple games on there that i play right now so i don't think you're missing too much yeah it looks like uh wiki peoples you're you're on my team. I'm with. He says I'm with Kyle. Won't get a PS5 until it has VR too. And really, that's my logic. I went out, ran out, and got a PS4 Pro with the PSVR when that first came out. I got a G1 PSVR. Some people don't know this, but there was actually like a V2 that came out. They had a little bit better cable and stuff. When my first one broke, I just went out and got. A V2, and that one seems to be still staying strong. But I'm not a big console gamer. So for me to go out and get a console where the actual accessory I'm buying it for doesn't exist yet, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold off and buy them together. 
Yeah, so let's see what else we got here in the chat. Imagine Connect games in VR. That would be awesome. Clueless Dad Gamer. Yeah, my, my kids do Just Dance quite a bit here. Yeah, just to look at Wiki People's comment above there, he, he says, I'm sorry, he or she says, I'm skeptical. The triggers will make a big difference. It's all about software immersion, and Knuckles didn't really do anything for immersion, uh, Knuckles being the codename for the Valve Index controllers. So I, I do get your point there, Wiki Peoples, but I think the, the Index controllers made a few steps forward, but they didn't do anything for haptics. I think you'd be surprised when you try haptics the improvements that don't seem like they're a lot can really add up. I think in VR controller design, haptics can make a pretty big difference, but it's one of those things that can't be communicated well across the internet. You just have to try it with your hands. The the index controllers, the, the example I always come back to there is the ability to crush cans in Half-Life Alex, where I don't, I can't think back, like I remember that I could do it. I reported, I think I broke the news globally that there was this one little difference that you could do with the index knuckles controllers and i don't remember actually going into half-life alex and really i I have no i'm sure i tested it i'm sure i tried crushing a can with those controllers but it, it just didn't matter enough to have any kind of a lasting effect or any kind of memory of oh wow i can crush a can more realistically by just squeezing the controller uh, a little bit more what would have mattered and i keep coming back to this is like pulling back a bowstring if we can get better than what the original vive ones did in 2016 with pulling back a pulling back a bowstring i'm gonna be pretty excited by what you know that alone is an amazing experience when you can really uh, pull back a bowstring and, and trick your brain into being able to do that any improvement there is going to be dramatic and i really think they're going to be able to do that with the triggers Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the main improvement from Index, it wasn't haptics and it wasn't that. It was the ability to let go when you throw. The Index controllers, that was their step forward. Everything else turned out, let's be honest, to be not a real significant impact on real gaming. But that ability to throw and let go still puts it ahead of pretty much every other VR controller out there. Yeah, the controller there, the the other, the, I remember talking to Valve and it was, or talking to a lot of the, the devs that were building for these controllers and really thinking about them. The ability to release your hand combined with the fine-tuned optics. So being able to adjust the relief right up to your eyes, get the maximum field of view, and then have this perfect balance between the front and the back where you just really want to sit there. When you're in VR for a good half hour, you just take a deep breath after the half hour and then keep going. Whereas I'm just going to be constantly thinking about my headache in a quest two, even after that length of time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with your index controllers. You just go into Alex and grab the can and you just go crushed it. Love it. Hey, let's move on to the second piece of news because it's very similar. Uh, It's the cousin of our display conversation because this is actually the other piece that goes along with displays in VR headsets. It's so very important. Breakthrough pancake lenses could bring compact headset headsets. Co- Is it Coppin or Copen? Copen. I'm fairly sure it's Copen. Copen. Okay. Copen reveals the first all plastic pancake lenses, which it says enables much more compact VR headsets. 
So a pancake lens, that term pancake, it feels flat to me. What exactly does that mean, pancake lens? You want to take this, Heaney? The, the idea being that these lenses will allow you to have eyeglasses level display optics. So you're reducing the amount of space in between the display and the lenses themselves with this type of avenue. And it's a big step forward in the weight department and the size department to be able to have that kind of uh, lens system. Yeah, Heaney, you back? Yes. All right, so we're we're talking about the pancake lenses. Onakazi actually says, I think it's more like a stack of pancakes as opposed to just being flat. And based on this graphic right here, it does show that there's multiple pieces to this puzzle. Heaney, do you want to educate us on what in the world a pancake lens is? Sounds delicious. So I think I could hear you from over there while I was out for a second. So yeah, it's a thin, flat lens. As as you note, they are dual element lenses that are used in all of the pancake designs. And what Copen have done here is all of the pancake lenses so far have had to use a plastic element followed by a glass element to reduce a problem that is inherent to those to pancake lenses where you get this kind of ghosting effect so i remember watching a talk by google's optics optical engineering lead a few years ago where he summed it up quite simply as let's try to remember the exact phrase here fresnels have god rays and pancakes have ghosts so those are the kind of that's the main disadvantage what what copen have claimed here is the first all plastic pancake optic where both elements are plastic. And they say they've managed to do that without this ghosting effect. And so that significantly brings down the cost of pancake optics and means that they can also be much lighter. So the the, the key to why you would want a pancake lens in a headset is that it can be right beside the display, which allows for much more compact headsets. If you look at the current headsets, you have a Fresnel lens, but then there's quite a large gap between it and the display that it has to magnify. And quite simply, Pancake Optics will allow for smaller headsets by having the display right beside the lens and a lot smaller on the lens. Let me see if I can bring up a quick diagram of this. But of course, there is the problem of the significant trade-off, which is if you have a smaller display over this smaller path, it's obviously going to be a lot harder to deliver a wider field of view. So that is a major issue because what everyone is looking for, what everyone who's a current VR user is looking for out of new VR optics is a wider field of view. But I think you have to realize here that these pancake lenses and the headsets that they might enable to exist are more intended for people who haven't bought into VR yet because of the sheer size and bulk of the headsets. So to bring up this image we had earlier, the keyboard will go away. Let me just bring up an image to show what this design here, which is actually Copen's design from a few years ago. They haven't shown a full headset design uh, recently, but this is a design from them a few years ago, which used someone else's pancake optics with their micro displays. Because you have to realize the important caveat here is that Copen's skin in the game is that they make OLED micro displays. Now, this is a little confusing because earlier we talked about OLED and MicroLED. 
OLED micro displays are actually a slightly different technology to regular OLED displays you would find in your phone or a PSVR or a Samsung Odyssey. They use slightly different materials in manufacturing. They're much more expensive, but they're about the size of a coin, a large coin. So with these pancake displays and sorry, with these pancake lenses and micro displays, you can see the kind of headset form factor that's possible. And that's not even a highly optimized shell, to be clear, what we're seeing on screen right now. That was just a haphazard prototype thrown together. We've also seen pancake lenses in Panasonic's design that Ian tried back at CES 2020, which I'll bring up here. And the key is that was using 3M, the popular materials, sorry, the famous materials companies, pancake optics. We don't know much about those. We don't know whether they were dual element with plastic and glass. Based on Copen's kind of statements and claim that this is the first ever fully plastic pancake lens, I'm going to assume yes. Here is Ian using the Panasonic design from CES. So you can see here that essentially the idea is we can get much smaller headsets, but with a slightly reduced field of view. And that's the kind of the major debate here. And I definitely did notice ghosting when I was in there. And so that it's definitely like an after image of everything that you're looking at. And I, I told that to the people and they apologized. I told, they mentioned, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I saw some ghosts. And like, oh, we're sorry. So I think they're, they're working on that. And, but it, it's just night and day that the weight difference, such a significant deal. And I would love to have those glasses for media consumption. I, I just can't wait until we get there. We, we keep going back and forth with all these different headset manufacturers. That some of them are working on wider FOV with current technology. Other ones are trying to add new current, add new technologies. But as a result, there's a trade-off of FOV or brightness or uh, refresh rate or this or that or the other. This is how progress occurs is one company figures this out really well and one company figures this out really well. And then eventually they're, they're, they create like a parody and everybody ends up using all the same stuff. Now we're still a couple years away from this. So when we see news like this, where we've got new displays, new lenses, new this, new that, we have to let these things mature and come together. And so you're just watching miles. This is a milestone is what this is. These are just milestones that we're reporting for you to see the progress, which there is continuous progress on all of these things. You know, Again, as I've mentioned in previous episodes of this show, I am a bespectacled individual. I wear glasses all of the time. And I remember back in the, oh, I don't know, mid to late 80s, my glasses were huge on my head, these big monster glasses. And it was great because then my field of view was really big. But as I got older, I got smaller and even went through the John Lennon style glasses phase. And now I've got the little, you know, short squatty ones and you get the, the big horn rimmed ones. As you get higher in style, you lose FOV because your glasses are quite simply smaller and you've got a lot of outside. It's almost like a fixed foveated rendering for me uh, as I walk around with my glasses on. So style pushed me to get a smaller FOV in real life. As technologies advance and new features come out, you're going to make trade-offs for things like that. So I'm curious if I would even notice a smaller FOV if it was 
lighter, if it was uh, sleeker, if it was lower power consumption, am I personally willing to make that trade-off? I think I would be, but I don't know. Ian, would you be willing to make some of those trade-offs? Mm, it depends on the use cases. I, there are plenty of games where I really don't want to take, take, take a step backward and in field of view. There are other experiences where that wouldn't be as big of an issue, but I know Denny Unger over Cloudhead Games has some real strong thoughts on field of view being the neat the the thing that needs to go forward. And I've been that same camp that field of view needs to go forward, not backwards. But Heaney and I have talked about this uh, extensively that there's like a there's like a threshold where you go below that threshold in field of view, you stop feeling present, you start uh, remembering that you're in a headset a lot more. And yeah, there's a threshold where you can get over it and it feels pretty good. It feels okay. And you don't remember all the time that you have the less field of view. But still, I don't, I really wanted to go forward for better gaming experiences. I think Heaney and I have gone back and forth on what like a, an Oculus Go 2 might look like. If you could get those types of flat optics into a sixed off headset with hand tracking, it could be a pretty good experience, even if you have to take the step backward and field of view. But you're not going to want to go play a whole ton of games with a lesser field mm-hmm. of view. Mm-hmm. Da- Daniel, you make a good point. Yeah, but you can still see the world around you, not just black darkness. And and I agree with you. My eyes are so terrible, though, that it's more of a smudge around my world, <laughs> not the actual world around me. But yes, you are having black. Total blackness around you is a lot different than just small spectacles. Um I'm in the other camp, Ian. You and Denny uh, can preach how important that it is to get the FOV, and we don't want to take steps back. But I personally am willing to take a step backward in terms of FOV to be able to get some of this other technology in these headsets. And I don't want to discourage companies from experimenting with these things because, oh, no, oh, no, it's going to change. It's going to lower the FOV, so we can't even go down this path. I, I want companies to be encouraged to sacrifice a small amount of FOV to bring in new technology because then it can evolve and then that can grow. That's just my take. And, it, and it's okay to have varying opinions on this subject. Heaney? I think this is one of those things where the engineering paths are so divergent that it really should just be down to consumer choice. What I want to see companies like Facebook and HTC and Valve, if they're producing more headsets and Sony do, is give us a choice. Let some people pick the slimmer headset that has the slightly narrower field of view and release another headset that that's uses a traditional optical path that's much wider field of view. And that's really the only way we can decide at the end of the day. I, th- I think this needs to be down to the market because a company can't anticipate every use case and try to design one jack of all trades. It's going to be a master of none in that situation. Mm-hmm. I, the thing I want to add here is just uh, there was a comment from Big Show asking about more pixels to fix the field of view issue. I'm really curious when we see these pancake optics with eye tracking. So if you can combine this approach to display design with eye tracking, maybe there is a route to uh, you know a pro level priced device where you're. you're charging more because you're putting a ridiculous number of pixels inside the headset but i i i I wonder if we could get 
back to the higher field of view by stacking some of these displays inside of there and then using foveated rendering to only render the pixels that are directly in front of your eyeballs. That would be obviously the best of of all worlds. You get the field of view, you get uh, foveated rendering to make sure that it's not rendering the whole picture even when you're not looking at it. And then you get a very small headset at the end of the day. And I, I do wonder if or when we will get that kind of approach. Well, if, and if I just want to D-Man 9971. Kyle, no, no, FOV is needed. You're entitled to that opinion. I, I agree that FOV is important, but I don't want that to be the thing that limits us from adding new technologies. I, I respect everybody's opinions on this subject. I, I don't think, I think Heaney, you are absolutely right. Put it all out there and let the consumers decide what they're willing to accept. I, I think that's the smart way to do it. I think that's smart. Do we have any idea when we're going to see these lenses come to fruition? When are we going to actually see plastic pancake lenses in a consumer level product? Do we have any idea whatsoever? I'd have to say we don't have any idea for the simple reason that pancake lenses are not new. They've been used in military and lab designs since the 60s. They Every year or so, we hear another company promote their micro displays along with pancake lenses or show off a reference design. But there, there haven't been any concrete talk, talks or any kind of concrete statement about bringing a product. The closest we've seen is that Panasonic design that Ian tried at CES, but there's no indication that's actually intended to be a real consumer product either. Mm -hmm. It's, for all we know, just a reference design for other companies. So it's hard to tell. We really can't know based on the information we have right now. And, and this could be a stopgap. The two-element two plastic pancake lens might be a stopgap. Something else might come out tomorrow that we don't even know about yet. And this is just a milestone, a step in the, pro in the process. Yeah, my, my takeaway from the Panasonic glasses were that that was a concept that was in need of a platform. It needed someone to back the software effort to, to decide to productize it and really provide the software necessary to make that a great experience. The I, I just I, I yeah, I don't think it going back to what you were saying, Kyle, about whether you let consumers decide, I don't know if there's there's been so many dead ends in the VR market already. And I don't, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine too many companies experimenting with more dead ends, right? Like, I, I, I think you have to put these things together and really trial them on a lot of people internally. And if you think you've got a compelling experience, you pull the trigger and go for it. But I, yeah, I'm of the opinion that like the reason we haven't seen these in consumer products is because of the step back in field of view, partially the ghosting. And I don't think consumers are going to go for lesser field of view in VR too much going forward. I think that's going to, Heaney, you were starting to say something earlier about the optical design, but I really want to see this in a wide field of view design. Yeah, it's important to note that at Oculus Connect 5, where this diagram on screen comes from, Abrash did actually note that pancake lenses have the potential and Michael Abresh being Facebook's chief scientist, I believe is his current role, who leads up their research division. He did note that pancake lenses have the potential to go to much larger 
field of views if desirable, but he didn't really go into details on that. I, the, the reason I think that a kind of offer both and let the market could decide approach could work is because if you do have this narrower field of view pancake lens headset, it's going to naturally have a lot higher angular resolution than the wider field of view. So you could see it pitched as the productivity headset, the professional one where you need as high a resolution as possible. And then the wider one becomes the gaming one where immersion really becomes the priority over reading text. We could see something for the enterprise that uses head uses lenses like these so they can have these tiny little headsets that just snap on quickly. And can gamers at home who want the maximum immersion can keep with the kind of current Fresnel design or maybe something in the future that we haven't even heard about yet? That's what I'm hoping for. Something we haven't even heard of yet. That's going to make this entire conversation completely moot. All right, cool. Hey, let's move on to the next piece of news because this is fun. For all those of you who have your quests and your quests to version 30 is rolling out with microphone swap and multitasking. Facebook is rock. I can't talk today. Facebook is rolling out the V30 update for Oculus Quest owners with some major updates to how voice chat is handled, as well as multitasking with 2D apps. Now, are we talking about 2D apps from my PC, or are there mm. 2D apps like Android apps that work on my headset? How, how does that work? Yeah, that's the major question there, Kyle, where... They The quote from Facebook, what they've officially said, is that it will let you run multiple 2D apps side-by-side in Oculus Home, including the Explore, Store, Browser, Events, Oculus TV, Oculus Move scoreboards, and more. There's this and more at the end of their Hmm. sentence. Uh, Those are all the obviously included Oculus apps listed. I've already been able to run SideQuest. So the SideQuest APK that is available for Android phones and allowing you to sideload content onto an Oculus Quest directly from a phone without a PC involved. I was able to sideload that directly onto my Quest and then sideload content directly to my Quest from the internet. It's very confusing, this route, but yes, you're able to put an APK for SideQuest and then use that to install other APKs directly to a quest, that's the route you would take, in theory, to upload any Android APK to your quest. And the moment we get that, I really want this to happen because it's what I think will open up VR to a significantly larger audience. If you can go and find Fortnite and have that on your quest from the Android store it wouldn't come from officially google play it would come from another route but if you can get fortnite up and running on your quest that's going to draw in a lot of people into into the 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 vr ecosystem even if you're not using it for vr even you're just watching it on a 2d screen using a gamepad uh having all those android apps available to you for this multitasking is going to be huge we just haven't seen Facebook actually confirm that they're going to do it. It's just we're piecing these two different pieces of news together that, yes, multitasking is coming. Yes, it's working with 2D apps. Facebook hasn't officially embraced the, the Android apps uh, system yet. 
but the writing is on the wall. This is the the most obvious use case for it. And the moment that happens, it, it gets pretty significant. If you can have two Android apps, even one Android app running in as you're doing your VR journey, Spotify, music playing in your background, that's going to be incredible. So an Android APK is the package that you get. It's a zipped file, not zipped, but compressed uh, package that you install on your Android device, which these are, and you can load them up and they just pop up on the screen inside your home, your environment, just like it would if you were holding a device. Is that accurate? Is that how it works? Pretty much, yes, yeah. Okay, so if I was the side quest person right now, I would be freaking out that everybody who has an Android app wants to get their Android app on SideQuest so that way their Android app can be played in a VR headset. Now, are we going to see an onslaught of Angry Birds and, like you said, Fortnite and all of these things being submitted to SideQuest because now you have a new way to consume them? Of course, the obvious question being how is Facebook itself? If Facebook itself embraces this, what's their route to putting this stuff on the headset? So yeah, this screenshot here we have on screen was uh, leaked a while ago. This was someone had noticed that their headset already had this feature, Facebook's Android App Store. And Jamie, a few weeks ago, noticed on Twitter, we, we wrote this up as an article, that a Facebook employee, a manager of adverts or something like that, business ad analytics, something like that, had actually noticed on Twitter that he had this on his quest that Facebook had given him for free. And he tweeted about going, oh, it's great that we have this internal feature. And then obviously after our article, he deleted his tweet because he realized he leaked <laughs> it. So it, yeah, it's pretty clear that it's not going to be SideQuest. It's Facebook will launch a section on the Oculus store that offers non-VR apps. You know, we have a screenshot of it of here. So it's, unless they cancel that project, that's pretty clear it's going to happen. I, right. I, they could but, cancel it. I just, I want, it's such I a I mean, if they're already feature. using it, if they're already using it with, you know, if employees that don't even work on VR at Facebook already have it on access, it would be something yeah. major would have to happen for it to get canceled. But, but look at the sudden ecosystem change that this could create. Because you have how many titles in the Android store? There is a, a crazy amount of new content now that can suddenly be consumed inside this headset obviously it's it's like owning a car that can go 600 miles an hour but you never leave your neighborhood i I just wonder and obviously yes the the curation of the oculus store has been with plenty of controversy and conversation happening how come this is only on app lab and how come this is actually in the real store now you've got a whole nother store of stuff that do we Does it get curated? Like I see Adobe Lightroom, but what if there's some other form of photo editing program? Does it have to get approval to be able to be submitted so that way it can be put and installed on one of these headsets? I I don't know. These are the questions that I think this is raising for me. So I was just going to say, I think when you look at what other Android device makers that have their own app store the situation they're in, for example, Amazon and their Fire tablets have their own app store. It's more that Facebook will be struggling to get Android developers to actually sign on to this. Because if you're an Android app developer, there is an extra effort and a kind of constant maintenance that will have to go on for years to supporting another store. Because it, the, the Quest doesn't actually have all the Google Play services available on normal Android apps. There may be specific issues 
that means that it, you have to change some core functionality of the app to make it work well in VR. I don't think this is, I'm sure they will curate it as they've been curating so far, but I don't think this is going to be one of those things where devs are jumping to get on it. I think this is one of those things where Facebook will be jumping to get devs on it. Oh, interesting. So you think it's the exact opposite problem of what I see. That's fun. That's Only fun. because Who of Amazon struggles with their tablets. If you ever use one of their tablets, they have their own <laughs> version of Google Play Store. It's But you notice that some of the apps on it are actually outdated from a few years ago. So obviously those developers have committed back then a few years ago, but didn't really want to commit in the long term. So there's a lot of challenges in having a different store. In the early days of Android tablets, there were a lot of tablets, and I don't know, maybe it's still like this. It's been a while since I've actually touched an Android tablet, but there used to be tablets that would come out that didn't have all of those, the Google infrastructure and the Google Play Store. And so many people have found ways to root these devices and then install those stores. I wonder if I can install the Play Store, the Google Play Store, right onto my headset. The, the only mm. thing missing is Google Play Services. So. That's one of those struggles. If you look at Huawei right now, they've had to re-engineer Android and even come up with their own operating system. But before that, they had to make their own store because they weren't getting access to this. And just to be clear, Google Play Services is a service that runs on Android app on, on Android devices that accept Google's terms of services. So you have to accept Google's terms and do X, Y, Z, and in return, your device gets this magic service that makes all the other Google apps work and the Play Store itself. wonder if anybody's gotten all of those services to run on a Quest or a Quest 2. I'd be curious. I don't think Google will be happy about that, but I am guess it's technically possible, but I don't think Google will be happy about that at all. You have to you have oh, pass I, a test, <laughs> I think, don't you? You have to uh, some kind of Google compatibility uh, service in order to get some of those services. Yeah, there's more than that. There's all sorts of rules. They have to not pre-install certain apps and, and, and agree to include Google's apps. So if Facebook wanted Google Play services on, I don't think VR headsets are even a, a supported device type. But if they were, they'd probably have to preload Google Maps and Google Docs and all of the other Google Play services, which I don't think Facebook would be too happy about. Whether they're happy about it or not, I don't think I've ever asked a manufacturer's permission to root at any device. So <laughs> it's quite all right. I, I want to address a really important question in the chat here. Why do chicken nuggets taste so good? Owen, thank you for that uh, really important question. And yeah, they are fried. It looks like you've already gotten the answer. But yeah, chicken nuggets do taste good, especially with the right sauces, like a honey mustard sort of thing. Yes. We do appreciate the live comments on our show here. Lively discussion, as always. Do we have anything more to talk about with the multitasking and Android apps and things like that? We don't really know what the like true nature of this is intended to be, do we? No. It would, it's like an opening step, right? There's a lot more yeah. things that need to be layered on here. Uh, the only other one that I can think to mention right now is positioning these windows wherever you want and letting them run in other apps. So as soon as I can position them behind me or make them small and then bring them up into a larger, like just reach out and have them expand pretty easily from being like a small little window. As soon as I can get that's when these get a lot more useful. But I'm curious to see how Facebook handles multiple audio systems and that sort of thing. I turned on Hey Facebook and every time 
uh, I say Facebook now. It, it tries listening to me, and it's very frustrating. The little assistant that's here, I got to turn that off. That's pretty bad. Wait, it works even <laughs> in the app? I've, I've got the so I've got that experimental feature of Hey FB. And every time I mention Facebook during this conversation, I get this little ding in my ear and it tries doing things with uh, my little virtual assistant inside my headset. I'm trolling myself now with uh, voice commands. That's a perfect segue into our final subject for this show, (laughs) this episode. Hey, Facebook, why don't you throw some ads in virtual reality for us, please? Cover Ian's 80% 80% of Ian's FOV. No wonder you need a higher <laughs> FOV. You need room for more ads. Yeah, that that's the news headline. That's all I'm going to say about it is that Facebook is putting ads in VR and everybody has an opinion on it. Even my grandma had an opinion on it. So where do we begin, Ian? All right. All right. Yeah, we've got some news here and someone already mentioned it in the comments. Before we came in here, I emailed Resolution Games they're the makers of Blast On. That would be the first game named by Facebook to... <laughs> when I said that, it activated again. Oh, it's just brutal. They're the first app from Facebook to test these ads. And I emailed them uh, right before we came on the show here and said, hey, just so you know, we're going to talk about this. It would be great to have a statement because I had two questions. The first question was, Blast On is also available on Steam. Are they going to do Facebook ads on Steam? And the the answer to that was no. They got back to me before we came into our show that it would only be on Oculus. And then they said, wait, there's actually a statement coming. And I've got that statement written right here from Tommy Palm, the head of Resolution Games. And the full quote from Resolution Games is... Quote, our mission at Resolution Games has always been to work to help the industry as a whole move VR forward for the good of everyone involved. Sometimes that means being the first to test some things to see what works and what doesn't. We appreciate all of the feedback and thoughts on the Oculus ad test for Blast On and other games that was announced last week. Some good points have been made, and we realize that Blast On isn't the best fit for this type of advertising test. Therefore, we no longer plan to implement the test in Blast On. As an alternative, we are looking to see if it is feasible to move this small temporary test to our free game, Bait, sometime in the future. We love this domain as much as much as the most avid players. If ads and VR become inevitable as it is as it has on other platforms, we want to ensure that while we have this chance to start over and do it right, we do just that. We welcome any and all your feedback along the way so we can have a constructive conversation on this and create the best path forward. So that is Facebook's first ad partner removing themselves from the ad equation and choosing not to do this ad test that set the internet on fire last week. Uh, Obviously, Facebook, when they announced this, said there are going to be other developers that they're testing this with, but they didn't actually name those developers when they made this announcement, so we don't know who those uh, are going to be. It sounds to me like they didn't want to be the Adakin Skywalker and betray the VR community. Is that too far, Ian? Yeah, wow. Adakin, no? Oh, man, that was really bad. I worked bad. on that I'm all so morning. Upset. No, morning. I need that button, Heaney. Can you? I'm just, yeah. It's serious. We need the Where button. Is the eject button. The eject yeah. button for Kyle. The... So the comments that I thought were really stuck with me is I saw one on Facebook, I saw them on Twitter, 
but the one suggesting that essentially there should be a notification on the store page for an app that says this game contains paid ads. And the other commenter that I saw out there that I thought was interesting was saying that if a game changes its mind and actually implements paid ads after release, that it should begin the clock on a refund period, basically allowing people who did not expect to get that ad experience to refund their game and get their money back. I thought those were both interesting ideas. And the fact that Resolution Games has removed Blast On from this ad test gives strength to that. This is this is one domino here of them removing it. I'm curious to see how internally at Facebook, whether they're taking some of this feedback in stride and, and really thinking about whether there should be those notifications in their store. Let's be realistic here. Ads make the world go round. Ads pay for YouTube video creators to create their YouTubes. It pays for online publications such as Upload VR. It's a it's something you don't pay for to go to our site. So somebody has to be paying for something. Ads allow companies to provide services without charging you for it. Instead, they're charging you with time and a small amount of obstruction of ad in the actual experience. I'm the type of person who will watch a YouTube ad for a creator that I truly want to continue to create. I know I'm unique. I don't use ad blockers on my uh, browsers. I don't always skip. Now, I sometimes will, but I also want to support the content creators and this is how i do it by watching their ad mm-hmm. i'll we my wife and i were watching a youtube uh a, a cooking channel that we watched together and she's are you gonna skip the ad i'm like nah eh, let her get that nickel that she's gonna get from me watching that ad i'm, I'm helping support her content creation so I, I i understand why ads exist i also understand why people don't want ads. I get it. I totally understand. And it's not for everybody. I think that there should be an option. Like Ian, if Blast On existed and it was, I'm just going to pick round numbers, make this easy. It's $10 in the store. But if you pay $12, you don't get the ads. Would you be willing to pay extra to not have ads? Oh yeah, I, I would. That's the kind of customer I am and the type of deal I like to make for these products. The other comment that sort of stuck with me from one of the developers out there, I can't remember who, was that ads incentivize the developers differently than the upfront payment. So if you are suddenly an ad-driven business, you become incentivized to try to keep people inside your software for longer uh, instead of giving them a a great experience for an upfront price. And it, it changes the motivations there for developers I reached out. So I, I was in the first wave of iPhone owners. Uh, I bought the first, the very first iPhone back in 2007. And then basically the day that the App Store went online the following year, I went and purchased every one of the first round of apps on the App Store. And I, I got curious over the weekend and went back and looked at it and if you go into those, if I, if Apple lets me go into my app library and see all of those original apps that I purchased more than a decade ago, over a decade now, and all of them are dead. They've all been uh, 
deprecated over the years. They, the the IO, iOS has changed too much, and the devs couldn't make money from their software. And so they just didn't update their apps over the years. And it's tragic to think about these memories uh, that I, I made that are just lost to time. I can never play those games again. I went and found one of them that still is alive and I actually had fun with it this weekend. It's called Lux. It was a Risk game, just like the, the classic game of Risk of world domination. Mm. And it's amazing to me that game was made that long ago, almost 15 years almost now, um, where it still works on my device that many years later. Do we want to have VR recreate this the situation where these apps that work today, do they just get deprecated and, and put in the dead pile after five years? Do they just not launch anymore on the VR headsets of 2025 or 2030? I think that's natural. I have Atari 2600 games that I can't play on any devices right now. That's eventually going to happen. The assumption is that VR headsets will always have a certain level of of capability and performance. What worked on the iPhone 1, it takes a lot of effort to continue to update it. And if if you paid $6 for an app, what's the incentive for, and they sold, I don't know, 500 copies, what's the incentive for that developer to get that app to continue to work as it goes up unless it's continuously selling more or mm-hmm. they found some revenue stream by putting 16 ads before you even start the app. Yep. Yeah, I think it's just the realities of business. It's Mm -hmm. a bummer that like, it's Facebook more or less saying to a lot of these customers, we want to like, it's again, it's an ad test. This is very early. They're testing the waters to see what this is going to be like. But I I still, uh, so uh, Guy, Guy in in our comments here is saying, so Guy Godin, the developer of virtual desktops in our comments saying, if Oculus wanted to help devs make money, they could simply reduce the 30% cut they take like Apple and Google did recently. That's a pretty key comment there on how they can change the ecosystem in a really positive way for developers overnight. Guy, you're not wrong, but you have to understand we're not talking about robbing Peter to pay Paul. We're talking about giving Peter, letting Peter keep his money and giving Paul some too. So by having the ad revenue come in, there's more. It's not just about instead of giving it to Facebook, give it to the developers. It's about Facebook keeps their 30% and there's also developer money available now. But see, I have the, I have this whole thing because I thought about this long and hard over the weekend. Facebook, you're doing this whole ad thing completely wrong, okay? You have about a dozen or so wave zombie shooters out there, okay? You put NASCAR jackets with all sorts of ads all over it on the zombies. Then you've got just a an onslaught, pun intended, an onslaught of zombies with ads all over their coats, and then you can pew, 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 shoot them down. What do you think, Ian? You could even have the Burger King and Ronald McDonald and Grimace, and they're all zombies. And then that reminds me of like Gran Turismo, where you couldn't really smash up the cars in Gran Turismo because they were all they all looked like the they were all the real models of these cars. Oh. <laughs> yeah, did you really want to be slicing up a zombie and have like a mangled arm with the McDonald's uh, logo next to it? Is that what McDonald's wants? Is like a dead zombie arm yes. laying on the ground with their logo on it? Yes. Okay, maybe not McDonald's. Okay, Arby's. <laughs> Taco Bell. <laughs> Eat at Arby's, yes. That's a perfect, yeah. Yeah. 
it's roast beef kind of looks like i i think that there are ways to do this properly now i saw something very clever that somebody had taken a uh, beat saber and each of the little blocks is coming along you're slicing through the ads that's fun but make the ads interactive how many fake brands of cola vending machines exist all around in these games just brand them Put, put Jolt Cola in a dispenser and put it in your game. Put a box of chicken nuggets. See, the chicken nuggets ended up becoming relevant. Just put a little box of chicken nuggets on the table. It, they can be subtle ads. Advertisement is all about getting you to think about Jasper's free, fast, free delivery. Jasper's inside this game. Make it something a little less obvious. Don't make it a billboard. Make it whatever the product is sitting on the table as an extra. Yeah, Facebook did note when they were announcing this, let me just quote from their direct quote. They said, though we're not quite ready to test them yet, we're also exploring new ad formats that are unique to VR. So I I would guess they are exploring something like that. Just to bring up one of Guy's other comments, Guy Godin, the developer of Virtual Desktop, in our comments here, he said, you shouldn't have ads for a product you paid and software you paid for. Do you see ads in PS5 games? No. With the exception of sports games, no, you don't. So just to bring up what you said earlier, Kyle, of would you pay $2 extra for a $10 game that had ads? A $10 game shouldn't have ads. I think that was one of the really big problems with this announcement. Blast On is a paid-for game. It's not a free game. And now you've seen in their statement here that they're going to consider it in bait. That's really how this always should have been approached. Is, is it not? Why are we seeing... I don't even understand how this is a conversation. Who at Facebook decided, let's trial virtual reality ads in in an already paid product instead of either putting it into one of these free games or enabling new types of apps that are free? Because there are social apps you may want to make in VR that you can't get off the ground because you can't get enough people playing them if you have to charge for it. You can't just make it flat out free because developers need to eat. But they could use ads to develop these sort of games and get a large audience for them. So we we could see a new class of multiplayer title that comes along. So it's strange that Facebook didn't even try to really sell the benefits to consumers of this at all in doing with a paid game. But it's interesting to see they've backed out of that so quickly. I have a solid response for that. Cable TV. Broadcast television is free, but there's ads. In between, every 12 minutes, they throw five minutes of advertisement at you, and you justify it because broadcast television is free. It's over the air, no big deal. You would think that paying for cable television would reduce the amount of ads. Nay, nay, that's not the case. I'm paying for it twice by paying for the service and watching the ads. So, Nobody ever complains about that, except me just now, because uh, I was thinking about I think it last week. Court cutting is at an all-time high. It's a, that's a 20th century business model that's collapsing every year. The percentage of people that pay for cable TV every year is going down and down. And, and if following the trend and reading analysts from this sector, it seems pretty clear that business model will be dead within 10 years precisely because of that issue. People who are obsessed that live, breathe, and, and eat sports center, and I bet you'd get some varying uh, responses to that. I of course, the the, the, the latest yeah. thing that's happening is I've seen some of these ad technology companies where they'll dynamically change the ads embedded into the content themselves. You could have a billboard in some new Netflix show, and two years from now, they could change out the billboard 
to whatever product wants to advertise to that person at that time. That's where things get really subtle to, to, to an extreme extent where you don't even realize that the content is changing right before your very eyes. And you could go into the same Netflix show year after year and see a different ads in different areas of the show. It's like that's the latest ad technology that's being explored right there. There was that comment. I think it's fascinating the, the difference in sort of country to country across the world, what rules are allowed for advertising in the real world. So there's those famous photos of the United States where you look down like this, this street and it's just the number of billboards and signs for various businesses in the United States is just absurd. But then you go through even various parts of the United States where they have managed what's allowed to be shown at the roadsides. And it's beautiful. It's green. You can see everywhere. But you go to other countries and there's strict rules on what can be advertised and where it can be advertised. One of the commenters on one of that I saw on Twitter was talking about medical ads. Like, what if this sounds like a dystopia to imagine medical ads where a person doesn't even know about a life-saving medication? because it couldn't get advertised to them and it was such an obvious like comment from this person that it clearly spends a lot of their time in the united states where you were those types of ads are pretty common like your doctor is still going to prescribe you the best medication for your illness i don't think medication and prescription ads are the best example of uh, if this is an important piece of ad technology like i think doctors nothing is going to get between you and your medical care with your doctor you're still going to your doctor and getting the best medical advice you can from that person if you don't like that doctor you go to another one but a medical ads you know these aren't life-saving things you're not typically looking at a billboard and going oh that that billboard prescribed gave me a medication that's going to save my life that's not how it works and i think the I don't know. There's just such a disconnect across the globe, country to country, in how necessary ads are to everyday life. Yeah. Be sure to ask your doctor if Facebook VR ads is right for you. And also get checked for infections such as tuberculosis before taking this medication. I, I, we, my wife and I have turned those ads into a drinking game because it's so absurd. They do so many things, but you're right, Ian. If I see an ad for a medication, I'm going to go and ask my doctor if this medication is right for me, and the doctor's either going to say yes or no. But if so I hadn't asked, would that mean that he wouldn't know? And you're saying, no, that's ridiculous. The doctor's always going to know what the best thing is. So why are there ads for medications? I, I, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you shop. You should shop your doctors. If you don't think you're getting good medical advice from your doctor, go to a different doctor. I. I it's just. But such how do a you know? Than from prescription medications. But a lot uh, of people think their doctor's smart, and they hope mm. that their doctor is smart. <laughs> I don't know. All right, so I, I brought this up on my Twitter, and there was a lot of response to this. I think I hit a, a, a chord here with this tweet of just what if the killer app of AR glasses is ad block for the physical world. And I think when you think about it in those terms, you really get to the core of a lot of this, this debate where would Apple 
release that as like a core feature of its AR glasses. Like you could actually blank out things and people started imagining, okay, number one, are the ads themselves just going to get designed to look like other things in the environment so that they fool the computer vision algorithms and still get to your, you know, your eyeballs past Facebook or past Apple's filters. And I started asking around about this, but there are like uh, rules around whether signage and, and advertisements can look like necessary navigation signs out in the real world. So the stop sign, the, the eight-sided stop sign, I think there's pretty much, I think there's rules against whether you can have an ad that resembles that kind of necessary signage. We're talking five, ten years down the road here, but it really gets to the core of why this is such an uncomfortable thing for people, right? There's people who believe ads are a necessary, fundamental part of everyday life. And there are people who just don't want to see ads anymore. They don't think that they're necessary. And if I want something, I'll go uh, find it and look for it. Smashed reality here. I'm going to go up a bit. There was a study apparently done that doctors are likely are are 70% likely to prescribe a medication that you bring up. That's scary. It's almost as scary as me doing an AR experience and seeing a stop sign that says stop at your local fast food chain for some chicken nuggies. <laughs> That's spooky, too. Ads are, in in my mind, a necessary evil because it helps pay for stuff. But at the same time, yeah, it, it's a tough pill to swallow. Again, pun intended for the medication stuff. I don't know whether we want ads. <sighs> Gosh, I don't know. I understand why ads exist. Ads exist because how many times have you said, oh, this movie was was wonderful and it won all these awards. Wait a minute. How come I never even heard of this movie? Oh, I know why. Because I never saw an ad or trailer for it. So unless I was out looking for it, I didn't see it. It didn't it, it wasn't on my radar. Ads do have some value. It's just each person has their own opinion on what that value is. It's just, I think there's that you go, it just gets to this core of there being different people and their preferences and what they're willing to pay for, where you've got people that buy, people got so, any topic about this, you get into the comments and people point out the hypocrisy left and Apple does this, Apple does that. Well, on Apple devices, you can pay for a slot at the top of the search page. You can pay for you can go into the app store and pay for the top slot in the app store uh, above the other search results. That is not the same as like a home screen ad or uh, the data gathering mechanisms that come with targeting ads more effectively. Like it's a completely different realm. I was in the Fandango app looking at a, an ad for or looking at a trailer for a movie. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And then I went over to Twitter, and sure enough, that movie the next day was a promoted tweet into my feed, and it looked like just another normal bit of conversation, right? I I think it's just there's so many people out there just so tired by ads. It takes mental – it takes time away from your day to have to process ads and think about whether these things are actually parts of things you want to invite into your life. And 
there are people who pay for the privilege of not having to deal with those ads. Whereas companies like Google and Facebook position themselves as uh, we're services for everyone and we want to serve everyone, even if you don't have the money to pay for that privilege. And all we're asking is you let us be the broker of, of this ad exchange. It's just, it's fascinating that kind of this is the thing that makes people have to decide which ecosystem I'm going to buy into for the next five, 10 years. And I don't know, to he, what Heaney was saying earlier, it's, I don't know, it's surprising to me that Facebook chose this moment to do this test. It's surprising they picked a paid uh, product yeah. is, is a strange thing. I guess you have to distinguish between mass advertising and targeted advertising. As you say, and the, the pitch from these companies like Facebook and Google is that through targeted advertising, they can deliver products that are free or close to free to as many people as possibly want them. And they aren't barred, barred out by money. And Apple has this very pro-privacy stance in that they do everything on device and they try not to use any personally identifiable data. But as many people have pointed out, they can do that because they're making a $400 profit on each device or something like that. So they are, they're able to make their revenue a different way. And you know, as, as Kyle alluded to earlier, for a website, for example, that runs ads, websites cost money, people cost money. If you either have to accept targeted advertising or paying for the service, there is no kind of third magical solution where the money comes out of nowhere. We do live in a world that is is a real economy. <laughs> so that does. But, if know, there is a third option, please let me know, please. <laughs> <laughs> if we ever reach well, post scarcity, I'm sure that becomes an issue. But we live in it. We live in a, a still pre post scarcity economy. <laughs> <laughs> scarcity oh man i remember being being a young teenager learning about scarcity and just breaking my brain that's where those are those formative years that people decide the course of their life when they start learning about how scarcity affects affects the world and the motivations of people i i just i want we we talk about this kyle even internally at, at a upload where we put out the article that this news appeared in and we have an article that appears in the content with in the middle of the ad. And it's just funny that we would be writing about this news and have an, an ad appear in the article right when we're talking about ads being embedded in content. And people want to point out uh, hypocrisy there. Everyone is doing this. I, I'm a big believer that you have both options available to people, right? We've talked about wanting to be able to offer like a subscri subscription-based uh, service or a subscription-based option for the work that we do. And thank you so much to our members who pay for us on YouTube. That is a path to being able to have this relationship. But it's so important to me to be able to offer people that option of having an ad-free experience and to and that's what people thought they were paying for when they bought a $10 app or a 20 or $30 app. They thought they were getting an ad-free experience. And I think the thing that I, I guess is key there is people don't want to have to work on those monetiz monetization systems. There's a lot involved in 
maintaining subscriber lists and ensuring the privacy of those people who are paying you money each year or maintaining credit card databases. Like mm-hmm. it makes things easier for people to hand those things off to somebody else and just have a revenue stream. And all I've got to worry about is getting a lot of eyeballs on my stuff, right? There's, that's what so much of our economy is focused around is like artists and creators out there. They just want to focus on the creative thing. They don't want to have to focus on that other part of the business. And that's why we have Facebook and Google, such massive businesses out there because people don't want to work on those other things. It's just, there should be some of those options uh, more often, in my opinion. I like I, it's what I like. I, yeah, again, I come from the Apple ecosystem where I per- prefer to know how that, what kind of a deal I'm making with my content when I can. Yeah, yeah. There, there's just a lot to break down when it comes to talking about ads. It's you can't live with them. You can't live without them. That's how it works. <laughs> it's just a matter of where and when and how. Those ads are presented to you. Truman um, Show. Did you like exactly. that? I, I keep thinking about the Truman Show, right? I, that's what we're moving towards, right? Where if, if you, even if you remove the ads from the experience, you still might get them embedded into, in ways you don't even realize, product placement. Heaney, what was the thing you were saying that was on Facebook's sign-up page for a long time? Facebook's free and always will be. Was that what the text yeah. was? And that used to be their uh, kind of internal motto for their monetization strategy. You have to do realize here that this idea of free but supported with targeted advertising is in Facebook's DNA. It's at the core of its ethos. It is something that they talk about almost as like a religious kind of idea that they want to bring to the world. This has been a very lively and interesting conversation. I think we're going to wrap this up looking good. Go to YouTube if you're not already on here. Upload VR and can subscribe and all those fun things. Hit the little bell button, whatever the heck that thing does. And check out UploadVR.com for all your latest news, reviews, comments, and interviews. Thank you all very much for watching and or listening. We'll see you in the future.